Well, we want God to be magnified in our lives, and hey, right now, we want to see God magnified in his word. So let's get our Bibles open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Today, we're looking at verse 14 to verse 16. Um, when I'm here and I'm preaching and we're going through the uh, worship time and there's like no one in the room and I'm just sitting back in a corner, it's uh, not the same as having people in, in the room. And to those who are at home, we're really grateful that you're able to tune in, but uh, we're really grateful that we can be together even in separate spaces, but we want to be together together. So we would invite you next week uh, to come out uh, to one of these services and also to consider how you can uh, serve and contribute as a bot- member of the body of the Christ to the church. Thankful that we can be here together. So good for my soul. What's the greatest obstacle to your endurance as a representative for Jesus? We looked at this idea last week that each one of us has a role in the gospel. Whether you're your mom at home with kids or your student uh, online or whether you're a, a busy dad trying to juggle all your responsibilities, each of us are representatives for Jesus in our everyday lives. What's the greatest obstacle? that you could face in your role as a representative for Jesus. Today in our passage, we're going to see that the greatest obstacle can come from a place that you least expect it. A virus had spread through the church in Ephesus. It wasn't being transmitted by water droplets or speaking moistly. False teaching through damaging chatter had spread through the church and the health of these Christians was at the point of near fatality. It was bad. You don't often expect that the greatest obstacles that you can find to your everyday rule is going to happen in the church. It happens. God wants to make a difference through us. God wants to make a difference through you. And if he's going to make a difference through us in our everyday gospel role, then we need to avoid things in the church that can cause damage. And you may not expect it, but it comes. If you want to make a difference in your gospel role, then you must avoid damaging chatter. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 to 26 is going to detail us three rules Three rules that we must put to practice if we're going to avoid damaging chatter. And it might be easy to dismiss this. It's like, that's not me. That's someone else. We all have a part and we all have a role to play in this. Three simple rules. Here's the first rule. Discern it. Let's read the passage together. Verse 14. Remind them of these things. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. 
But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wooden clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, for you know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Three rules. Rule number one, discern it. If you can't see it coming... You won't be able to avoid it. That's a good principle for young drivers trying to avoid collisions, for quarterbacks trying to avoid sacks, and for Christians to avoid damaging chatter that can affect the church. I'd like to show you what this damaging chatter looks like, how you can discern it, what the problem with it really is, and then how that problem starts in the first place. So what does damaging chatter look like? I'm not talking about gossip, who's wearing what, who's dating who, not what I'm talking about. Damaging chatter is this type of false teaching of a distorted gospel that can spread through a church, and it looks like hostility. Damaging chatter is hostile. Quarreling literally means like sparring with your words. Guns out, knives drawn, in it for the fight. It's hostile. It's irreverent. No regard, even though that they're talking about God, no regard that they're even accountable to God. It's hostile. It's irreverent. It's baseless. Paul calls these chatterboxes foolish, ignorant, out of their senses. Like a person who's convinced they have the right medical advice they've given you because they watched two episodes of House or Grey's Anatomy or The Good Doctor, but they work in retail. Hostile, irreverent, baseless. That's what you need to look for and avoid. What's the problem with this chatter, though? The problem is Paul describes it like a sickness, gangrene. A flesh-eating disease that can fatally spread through the whole body. And this chatter in Ephesus was upsetting the faith of some. That means it was eroding the foundation of what they had placed their lives on, leaving them lost and confused. It was leading people into more and more ungodly choices. Our faith informs our lifestyle. What you believed guides what you behave, but this chatter was distorting their faith and leading them back into lifestyle of sinful pleasures, bringing them actually into shame and despair, which are the things that Jesus brought us out of. How is this problem caused in the first place? All right, this point is key if we're going to learn what discernment looks like. Damaging chatter happens when arrogant and immature 
churchgoers are ensnared by malicious demonic forces with a distorted view of the gospel that is influenced by trends in popular culture. That was a big bite, so let's nibble this down a little bit more, okay? Damaging chatter when arrogant but happens through arrogant and immature churchgoers. Paul said that the motive of these people was youthful passions. One of these guys was Hymenaeus, and Paul directly identified him in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and he clarifies their immature arrogance in this way. He says, Certain persons have wandered into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding the things they are saying about which they are making confident assertions. Their desire, their passion, is a position of influence. They want a title, and it's only self-serving. It's arrogant. It's immature. This is the type of person that allows opportunity for demonic forces to ensnare to such a degree that Paul says that they are doing the very will of Satan. Pride is demonic and can divide a church. That's what was happening in Ephesus. Arrogant and immature churchgoers ensnared by malicious demonic forces with a distorted view of the gospel influenced by trends in popular culture. See, their distorted view of the gospel was teaching Hymenaeus and Philetus that the resurrection had already happened. That's what they were saying. Paul identifies that really clearly in verse 18. But he wasn't saying, like, it happened and you missed it. See, these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, were being influenced by their Greek culture to believe that the resurrection isn't actually a literal thing. That it's a figurative thing. See, Greeks had this idea that the physical body was like dirty and unclean. And, mm, so let's focus on like the inner self to the complete disregard of the body. The inner self, the spirit, is really what matters. And because they thought that the, resur- the body was unclean, this Christian teaching that Jesus taught and Paul taught, that's the word of God and central to the gospel... They said, well, the resurrection's about the body, but the body's unclean, so the resurrection must be like a spiritual thing. Uh, Yeah, no. That's dangerous. This was a distortion of the gospel influenced by their popular culture. Our only hope is the living hope that Jesus rose from the dead. And when you believe in him, you are united with Jesus and you have the hope that one day your physical body will be made into an immortal body and you will enjoy the rest and the peace of eternal life with him in his new world. Discernment. If you can't see it, you won't be able to avoid it. Discernment protects us from damaging chatter. Can you see ways in which Arrogance and pride, coupled with a distorted view of the gospel and influenced by popular culture, Satan can grab it. Do you you see examples like that today? I see some concerning trends today in our world. Politics, uh, racial justice, environmental activism, each of these are good. 
Each of these Christians should be engaged in. But many Christians are being influenced more by what the culture says about these things rather than what Christ and the gospel says about these things. Engage in these things, but engaging these things in a discerning way. But when we talk about discernment, what we need to discern is not really just what's happening outside of us, but what's happening inside of us, in our own hearts. See, many people think that discernment and protecting the church is kind of like protecting your house. Put a doorbell cam on so that you can see if someone's trying to break in or trying to steal your Amazon Prime package. Problems out there. But it starts with this arrogant and immature heart. The problem is our own heart. All of us can be attacked by the enemy of our souls. All of us are susceptible to sin. All of us need to discern the motives on our hearts. Proverbs 22 verse 5 says, The purposes in a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding is able to draw it out. So yes, we need to ask discerning questions about the culture, but we need to ask discerning questions about ourselves. Questions like, why do you keep talking about the thing you keep talking about? And why can't you turn the temperature down when you're talking about it? What's, a, what's informing what you're talking about? Do you listen when people tell you? And not just one person. Do you listen when like, lots of people tell you that you're acting irrationally? Or do you keep pressing on like a bulldozer? Discern it. Rule one takes thoughtful consideration. But when we follow it carefully and thoughtfully, rule two and rule three are pretty straightforward. Three rules to avoid damaging chatter. Discern it. Stop it. That's the second rule. Stop it. It's as simple as that, but it's also not that simple. See, three times in this passage, Paul gives a direct command to avoid damaging chatter. Look, verse 14, he says, don't quarrel about words. Verse 16, he says, avoid irreverent babble. Verse 22, he says, flee useful lusts. Avoid, don't, flee, stop. It's as simple as that, but it's also not that simple because each one of these commands to stop is paired with another command of what they should start. So here's the first command positively that we need to start if we stop engaging in damaging chatter. Stop engaging in damaging chatter and start remembering the truth of the gospel. See, he says not to quarrel about words, but before that in verse 14, he says, remind them of these things. These things is a reference to what Paul says in verse 8 of chapter 2. Look at that there with me. Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead. Paul's a smart guy. He knows that people are teaching the wrong thing about the resurrection, so he teaches them the right thing. Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead. The best way to combat lies about the resurrection was to proclaim the truth about the resurrection. See, our minds are like sponges. We absorb whatever we are around. 
It's not enough to just say stop, but you need to start absorbing gospel truth. Stop engaging in damaging chatter and start remembering the truth of the gospel. Here's the second one. Stop engaging in damaging chatter and start working with God's word. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. There's an interesting contrast that Paul has here between the people in the damaging chatter and between the person that Timothy is supposed to be. Damaging chatter is irreverent, no concern for God, but the true worker does their best as one approved before God. They care most, not about what people think about them, but about how they are found before God. Do you care about that? Damaging chatter is baseless, it's ignorant, it's naive, it's false, but a true worker handles the truth of God's word. They know how to divide it rightly. Damaging chatter is hostile. They act shamefully before others, but a true worker has no need to be ashamed. Stop engaging in damaging chatter. Start being a worker with God's word, devoting yourself to understanding who God is and how he wants you to live and how we can live in this world in a way that honors him. Stop and start remembering the truth. Stop and start working with God's word. Here's a third command. Stop engaging damaging chatter and start pursuing a godly life. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. See, damaging chatter has, is all bark, no bite. Damaging chatter is all sizzle, no steak. All talk, no walk. They could talk all they wanted about supposedly knowing some secret truth about God, but they couldn't back it up by living a godly lifestyle. See, the test, the true test of your faith are the steps that you take. Is there integrity between what you say you believe and the lifestyle that you live. Stop it. It's as simple as that, but it's not that simple. There are other things we need to start in its place. And if we don't, it might feel like the church starts to reel and rock and shake. Verse 20 and 21 gives us a caution. If we are unwilling to let go of this one thing that we are holding on to. Of this pet project that you have. That is upsetting others. Verse 20 to 21, look at it with me there. It says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. God wants to make a difference through you. But there are choices that we make if we're going to continue in patterns that are damaging that can make us useless to God. There's a severe caution in this. If we keep going down this path and you don't let go of this hostile, irreverent 
patterns, then God may have no use for you. You may end up being quarantined out of the church because you're allowing a sickness to spread amongst everyone. This caution is severe, but the harsh caution shows us actually confidence that we can have. Even the harshest cautions are opportunities for grace and to know God's love if we're willing to listen. See, Christian, God wants to make a difference through you. And you've been saved by grace through faith. And you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. God wants to use you. He wants you to be an honorable vessel. He wants you to be a useful tool in his hand to create the beauty of his grace and his mercy and his love. But the longer we put off repentance, the more we allow the tool to become dull and rusty. And a master workman is not going to use an old, dusty, unkept tool. Now, maybe you find yourself there. You've been allowing yourself to persist in things that you're realizing now are wrong. That might make the idea of repentance and turning back to God mm, mm, make you nervous. How could God accept me if I've become this tarnished? I know that feeling. And when I feel that shame, I need to remember God's mercy, and you do too. Because see, there's nothing that we did to receive his grace in the first place. And there's nothing that I can do to lose it because it's certified and earned in Christ Jesus, apart from my works, apart from my successes, apart from my failures. It was the grace of God that qualified me to become his child. It's the grace of God that always keeps a seat at the table for me. And our hope is that in Christ Jesus, there's no sin left to be uncovered that Christ has not already forgiven in his love. So don't put off repentance any longer. If you've discerned that your heart has been participating in damaging chatter, stop it and start fresh. If you don't, though, a confrontation may be coming. Three rules for avoiding damaging chatter. Discern it. Stop it. But if you don't, then the rest of the church has a responsibility. Just like in the team sport. If one player isn't pulling his weight and intentionally being lazy, the rest of the team is going to have to call him out on it. If you're not choosing to follow in the path of repentance towards grace, then we, the church needs to follow the third rule and address it. See, Hymenaeus and Philetus were patient zero in this sickness that was spreading throughout the church. And they weren't listening. They weren't stopping. So they needed to be quarantined. Discernment is right, but discernment in itself isn't enough. And if someone isn't willing to stop it, then a treatment needs to be happened. And maybe amputation is the solution. The treatment to address the damaging chatter was simply correct it. Verse 15, Paul says, correcting opponents. And that's how these men were treating themselves. They were acting like opponents. Correct it. Here's what's wrong. Here's what's right. What are you going to choose? 
But Paul's focus in verse 22 to 26 is less about how he specifically corrected their false teaching and more about the person Timothy needs to be in his, the act of correcting. The right way to correct damaging chatter is to do it as a servant of the master. Look at what Paul says in verse 24. The Lord's servant. That's how he addresses Timothy. Is that how you see yourself? See, a lot of us, when we try and correct false teaching, we don't see ourselves as servants. We see ourselves as crusaders on this holy war to stamp out the heretics. Gotta get them. And actually, this is a caution for us. Because the church in Ephesus took the responsibility of correcting false teachers very seriously. Very seriously. And not too, uh, a couple years later, when John writes the book of Revelation, he writes a caution to the church in Ephesus. And he tells them, there's something you're doing really well. This is John writing to them on behalf of Jesus Christ. There's something you're doing really well. You don't like the works of the Nicolaitans. Those false teachers, you hate them like I hate them. But this you've done, you've lost your first love. Repent. See, churches can get so vigilant about false teaching that they accomplish the mission uh, but lose their heart in the process. And this is the, why Paul focuses so much on the person Timothy is supposed to be. Ultimately, it's not Timothy who himself changes the heart of these people. We're not crusaders, we're servants. Paul highlights five characteristics of a servant that reflects the heart of Christ. Here's number one, trust God's power. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is a spiritual battle. But Paul recognizes that it's God who gives repentance. It's God who gets, gives the rescue. So we need to trust in God. And when we recognize that it's God the, is the one who will protect the church, you can act like a servant and not a crusader. Trust God's power. Repentance releases from the snare. And God gives that. That's the first characteristic. You need to be trusting God's power. Here's the second one. Uh, don't be quarrelsome. See, they may use their words to spar. They may want to war with their words. You use your words to build up. Trust God's power. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind to everyone. See, the Lord's servant needs to represent their master. And Jesus taught us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And when we do so, we'll be sons of our Father who is in heaven. Trust God's power. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind to everyone. Uh, patiently endure evil. When you address it, they're not going to like it. And you're going to have to endure probably even compounding and continuing confrontation from them. 
that you might be in it for the fight, don't fight back. The scripture says, don't repay evil for evil, overcome evil with good. Trust God's power. Well, don't be quarrelsome. Be kind to everyone. Patiently endure evil and correct with gentleness. You can use a claymore sword like Braveheart running through the field, hacking someone to pieces, or you can use the scalpel of a surgeon and slice exactly where it needs to be sliced. Correct with gentleness, because the aim of our charge is love that issues from a good conscience and a pure heart and a sincere faith. God wants to use you to make a difference. There are obstacles in the culture. There are obstacles in the world around us, but sometimes the greatest obstacles that we can face are the ones in our own church and in our own heart. Our hope is that we have a good master who has built a strong foundation and the church will not be stopped and will always stand. Our hope is that the Lord knows those who are his. He knows you. He loves you. And he wants to make a difference through you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the unity that we have with the life of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the shepherd of his flock. He is the head of this body. Thank you that we have one Father and we are a family in Christ. Lord God, in all things, would the aim of our charge be love? And Lord, would you use us to make a difference in the world around us? God, would we be effective in our everyday gospel roles? Would we represent Jesus well in word and in deed? Would you shine a light through us, the individuals in our church, into all of the places that we find ourselves every day so that more might see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. Yet we recognize, Lord, that darkness can come and can infringe upon the church. Darkness from the evil one, darkness from the world, darkness in our hearts. And Lord, would we avoid the damage of this darkness and would you shine your light Thank you, Lord God, that we have overcome by the word of God, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies. Thank you that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you that we are always moving in triumphal procession. God, in this victory, would we stand, would we love, and would you use us for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.